Welcome to the No More Risk Better Accredit Sites podcast. I'm Winnie Caesar, the Global Head of Strategy. And I'm Zach Griffiths, the Credit Sites Senior Investment Grade Strategist. As strategists, we aim to make sense of the macro and the micro, highlighting opportunities and the risks facing the fixed income markets. As important as the macro call may be, we understand that credit investing at its core comes down to keen single name selection, and we at Credit Sites benefit from the expertise of our team of over 100 analysts across the US, Europe, and Asia. This podcast offers a look at the conversations that we have with our analysts on a regular basis. If you are an investment professional focused on the wide universe of fixed income, you'll want to give this podcast a listen. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Credit Sites podcast. This is Winnie Caesar, Global Head of Strategy at Credit Sites. And today I am joined by my colleague and friend, Davis A. Bear. He is the head of TMT and our senior analyst covering high yield media and telecom at Credit Sites. And we're here to talk all things media and telecom today. Thank you so much for joining me, Davis. Thanks, Winnie. Happy to be here and happy to be talking about 2024. It's hard to believe we're almost a month in at this point. It is wild how quickly the time is flying. And, you know, you mentioned we're almost a month into 2024, and yet I'm still seeing outlooks come out of your team. How many outlooks have you guys put together this year? I think we're um, four deep at this point. We have put out one on the overall communications sector. Then we did one on the overall media sector. And in my high yield coverage, uh, we like to go get a little bit more in the weeds on local broadcast television as well as the outdoor industry. Are you a big watcher of local broadcast television, Davis? You know, you got to know the weather sometimes, what's going on in your local communities. So, um, and then of course the NFL, who's, who's not watching the NFL these days. That would actually be me. I am the one not watching the NFL these days, but you know, we can get into my aversion to the ball sports a bit later in our conversation. So let's start with the broadband wars. This is a topic that you've published on quite a bit. And, you know, we're seeing this collision course of cable companies and traditional telecom, wireline or wireless. You know, where are we in this competition for home broadband services? And then who do you expect to win share in 2024? Well, the home broadband market is very interesting. It's a very valuable market. It's a $90 billion marketplace. And it's critical for people to have connectivity at home. It's also a very mature market. So uh, we're looking at close to 90% of households today have home internet. Um, This has been a sector that has been dominated, and I underline that word, dominated by cable for the past decade. Cable has really enjoyed monopoly-like competitive dynamics in markets where they don't face any competition. We've estimated that they have 80% market share. So pretty incredible uh, setup for that industry. After the pandemic, though, two things changed in a big way. One is that telecom companies who were faced with declines of their copper-based networks as being just phased out as people needed more speed, realized that they needed to invest in fiber networks. And fiber networks are considered future-proof. So they're almost going, telecom companies are also almost going from worst to first, moving from a copper network to a fiber network. And so just over the past two years, we've seen as many as 13 million new fiber-based locations. We think by 2025, fiber will have built out 60% of the country with fiber to the home. So these are areas where 
Uh, cable has historically seen little competition, and now all of a sudden they have to deal with a lot more competition with fiber, fiber-based uh, internet. The other thing that has changed is that telecom companies, wireless companies, T-Mobile, Verizon, AT&T, have spent billions of dollars building out 5G networks. Well, guess what? Most consumers don't really care about 5G. 4G to 5G, okay, yawn, right? So what are they what are they doing to monetize that investment? One of the ideas they came up with was let's sell home internet using our our wireless uh, network. And that idea has really taken off. Um, much, to, much to the surprise of a lot of investors um, and, and people watching the industry, fixed wireless has been just an incredible success story and has taken up much of the growth. Now, if I want people listening to remember one number out of this conversation, it's the number zero. And that's our expectation for cable broadband gains in 2024 is zero. We do not expect them to gain any broadband subscribers. We expect most of, most of that growth to accrue to fiber to the home and fixed wireless, these new uh, growth challengers in the industry. So as you said, broadband, relatively mature markets, but home internet, you know, 90% of households, that's definitely a utility at this part, at least for the most part. You know, we can't say the same for traditional video product where we've seen cord cutting for nearly a decade. I mean, we cut the cord in my house in 2017, which feels like not that long ago, but was actually seven years ago at this point. What is the state of the video product today? And do you anticipate the same attrition rate in 2024? The state of the video um, distribution industry is very, very much in flux. Um, a lot of the things probably wouldn't surprise people. People will continue to cut the cord. But what's really changed is what Wall Street wants. And uh, Wall Street went from, we want you to talking about the major media companies like Disney and, and Paramount and Warner Brothers Discovery. We want subscriber growth at all costs. And so because everyone was sort of chasing these Netflix valuations. So these me major media companies started putting all of their high value, high cost programming onto streaming. And they basically let traditional TV just twist in the wind. So they effectively accelerated this, this decline on their own. Streaming prices were low at first to draw people in. Um, and if you think about it, that was an incredible amount of value. I mean, Disney Plus, I don't remember the exact pricing, but it was well below $10 a month. And you got all of this Disney content without any advertisements. What Wall Street has changed, how Wall Street has changed, has changed is now instead of subscriber growth, they want profitability. And that seemed to change almost on a dime. And so these media companies are now pivoting to, okay, we don't care as much about subscriber growth and we want profitability. So now they're pulling back on that content spending and they're raising prices in the streaming industry. And so I think we can safely say that we are at, we've already passed peak television and the peak television, I use that to describe the number of TV shows that were being made for people to watch. So the number I want people to remember here is 481. 481 scripted original shows were in 2023 versus 600 in 2022. So we're already seeing the content creation. Um, part of that was effect, uh, driven by the strikes, the writers and, and actors strikes. But still, I think we've seen peak TV because of this intense focus on, on uh, profitability and streaming. So that's one thing that's definitely happened. The second thing that's happened is uh, the distributors of video. So cable companies, satellite companies, they're getting a lot more bold in calling out these content companies for 
putting all of their premium content on streaming and leaving traditional TV to sort of, as I said, twist in the wind. So Charter basically had this huge showdown with Disney where they said, Disney, you're making people, customers pay twice. You get ESPN on our cable network. And then people are also having to pay for ESPN Plus to get a certain game they might want to watch. And so they called out Disney and they said, we want those streaming services to be included as part of a cable package. And Disney caved on that request and included um, certain streaming services as part of uh, distribution on cable, traditional cable satellite. What does that mean for 2024? It's unclear. I think that the price of linear TV is still going up. People are paying well over $100 a month for traditional television. Like you said, you cut the cord already, but there's still 60, 70 million households that still pay for traditional television, believe it or not. And as these prices continue to go up, people continue to, to leave and, and cut the cord. So the, the question is, like, if people are going to start getting more value for that $100 plus with streaming services, et cetera, are they going to think twice about leaving the bundle, the traditional cable bundle? Um, so that's definitely something to watch. We're also going to see, I think, in 2024, some of these lower rated networks, uh, cable networks, um, for example, Charter, decided they didn't want to uh, carry Disney Junior anymore. And so Disney caved on that. Uh, so some of these lower viewership cable networks might fall to the wayside. The other thing, too, is that these streaming services, in order to drive more profitability, have also been raising prices by a lot. These streaming service prices are going up, 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 along with inflation. And so people are going to start to probably think about, do I really need six to eight streaming services? Maybe I'll cut that down to four. And so there's all this focus on who are the survivors in this uh, in this sort of you know change in, in in the pricing ecosystem. So you might take Netflix and Disney Plus, but you might cancel Paramount Plus or Stars, um, just to use that as an, as an example. So the, the landscape is again very very much in flux. So as a follow up to that, would you anticipate a surge in consolidation or? M&A. If, if this landscape is an influx and it's not so much about subscribers, 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 but profitability, that seems to me to be kind of the, the prime consolidation backdrop. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's starting to become uh, a big focus. Um, I mentioned Paramount as being one of the, the companies where they're potentially one of the odd services out. Um, right. If, 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 if there's going to be, you know, a consolidation of streaming services, you know, Paramount's content is pretty valuable, but it's, is it valuable enough to stand up its own streaming services? Unclear. And so Sherry Redstone, who's the, the heir to Sumner Redstone's empire at Paramount, there have, have been a lot of headlines about Paramount potentially looking to consolidate or sell the company or at least the super voting share of Paramount that's owned by the Redstone family. Um, so that's absolutely something to watch this year is, is consolidation. So let's turn the conversation to advertising. We have traditional television audiences apparently in decline. You're, you're telling me that because I have never watched traditional TV for quite some time, so it must be true. What does that mean for advertising? I would guess that we should also see advertising spend lower with TV audiences lower. Yes. Um, and I, I will give a shout out to my colleague, Hunter Martin, too, who, who, who covers a lot of these major media companies. And I, I'm just sort of filling in the gaps where I can here um, and would encourage people to read our outlooks on for more, more fulsome views on these topics. But on, on advertising, I think we're starting to see these viewership declines catch up with advertising. Magna Global, which is one of the more respected agent ad agencies that 
forecast advertising has called for traditional TV advertising to be down almost 9% this year. Um, and that's worse than last year of eight per- down 8% and worse than 2022 of down 5%. So traditional TV advertising, absolutely seeing a, 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 de- a decline. All hope is not lost for these major media companies, though, because they've realized there's a lot of opportunity in advertising video on demand. So this is basically subscribing to streaming with advertisements. And I think you're starting to see these companies look for equilibrium points of, we want to drive more and more people to advertising on streaming. So all these ad-free services we've enjoyed the past few years, I think you're going to start to see those prices go way up for ad-free and in an effort to move people more to advertising-based services. So I think the forecast for AVOD, as we call it, is well into the double digits in growth for 2024. That's not enough to offset traditional TV. I think the traditional TV landscape is like a 30 to $40 billion marketplace still and still benefits from sports. But I think you are starting to see more pivot to these AVOD services. Outside of TV and other linear, traditional linear media channels like radio and et cetera, advertising is actually going to be up 8% this year. And you have uh, obviously a firm macro environment. You have the Olympics, you have elections coming up. And so a lot of this upside is accruing to big tech like Google and YouTube and uh, Meta with Instagram and Facebook and et cetera. And Amazon is now one of the largest advertising companies in the industry now. So I think you're starting to see linear channels go down and you're starting and you're seeing the, uh, the uplift primarily in the digital channels. So for streaming, we have more ads coming our way and less content. That doesn't feel like a particularly compelling narrative for the consumers to be super excited about streaming going forward. Is is this a problem, Davis? Well, I guess we can hope that maybe if they're making less shows, they're making better shows. We'll see. But yes, it it is notable that consumers are getting less value for what they're spending going forward. Consumers love getting less value for what they're spending, you know, after the the past few years of inflation, if, if that teaches us anything. So let's pivot a little bit to sports. This is admittedly well out of my wheelhouse, unless we're talking about distance running, which is my area to to watch. Apparently, we're about to hit the, the NFL playoffs, or we're in the heat of it right now. I think this is the one with the, the football-shaped ball. Are we seeing a decline in sports viewership along with the decline in just kind of TV as a whole? Uh, I can say very confidently, absolutely not. We are not seeing a decline in viewership for sports and especially football. Football is king. We published a sports primer this fall and it was just amazing how in love people are with American football here in the U.S. And the Chiefs-Bills game last weekend. Um, This was uh, not even a conference championship, but a divisional round. Drew in 50 million viewers on CBS. That's the most watched divisional playoff game ever in history. And here's another stunning statistic about football. On broadcast television, 93 of the top 100 So 93% of the most watched broadcasts last year were NFL games, not even college football, NFL in 2023. So for all the negative feedback we've given on TV so far, um, people are still watching sports in droves. So I mentioned 50 million viewers watched the Chiefs-Bills game on TV. So 
one thing the sports leagues are experimenting with right now is streaming because this is where younger viewers are. And so uh, Peacock, which is the streaming service of NBC, they paid $110 million for one exclusive NFL playoff game last weekend. And it drew in 23 million viewers. So 23 million versus 50, clearly a lot less than television, but it was still enough to be able to, to be able to be called the most streamed event ever was, was this uh, Chiefs-Dolphins game weekend before last. So streaming is becoming a, a, a part of the sports ecosystem, but te- television is still the lion, the lion's share of viewership in this world. All right. So for anyone who hasn't checked it out, Davis's team put together a sports primer late last year, and it's a, a very helpful resource along with all of the other many primers that Davis and his team have put out. They are definitely on top of that. So Davis, let's wrap it up with a topic that is definitely for the Bond nerds myself included. It's liability management. And I hate to say it, Davis, but your sector is a problem child and has had a lot of issues within the high yield market for you know the past year at this point. Now, we've talked in the past about stretched balance sheets. How are some of your issuers in high yield media and telecom going to manage through the next few years, given that we do have some fairly hefty maturities coming up? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, if, if you think about the media and telecom businesses historically, they've been pretty visible for the most part. You know, cable, as I mentioned, has long been a dominant sector. Media, while we've seen you know some changes in the landscape, they've the large media companies have remained you know pretty dominant. The Disney's of the world, et cetera. That's a long way of saying they have historically been able to manage higher leverage. However, things are changing. I, I think we, you know, we've talked about at least two pressure points already, advertising as well as cord cutting. And then when with cable, you know, we're seeing a uh, slowdown in broadband growth. And so the CFOs are not only have to man- having to manage uncertain cash flows from an, from an operations perspective, uh, but now they're having to deal with higher rates, paying out more in interest. You know, there's capital uh, capital needs, whether it's, you know, investing in the network, et cetera. And so balance sheets are becoming increasingly more difficult to manage um, going forward. And I speak primarily on the high yield companies that I follow, where you're facing near term maturities and you have a lot of covenant headroom. You have a lot of covenant flexibility because a lot of these bondholder covenants have been weaker and weaker and weaker over the years. And now if you own a first lien piece of paper, all of a sudden you're getting primed or you're getting assets pulled away as collateral. And so um, this is something that's made, uh, you know, we've seen a couple of aggressive moves by Lumen and Dish. We've seen talk about companies going to the securitization market away from high yield to manage their capital stack. And so it creates a lot of uncertainty for investors in our sector. And it makes it makes it makes it difficult to have, you know, high conviction on first lien bonds in a structure if, if it's a challenged credit. So it's, on top of all the fundamental challenges in the industry, we're now having to deal with balance sheet uncertainty and unpredictable, I guess, uh, management of these of these maturities and these and these issues going forward. 
Thank you, Davis. I know that there's been a lot going on in your sector over the past year, probably a lot to come, unfortunately. And I think that that's a great plug also for our company, Covenant Review, who has been all over a number of these topics, especially as it relates to liability management. And then also Levfin Insights, which is also very proactive on looking at kind of the the near-term liquidity needs and maturities and trying to identify what are the next companies that investors should be really focused on from an LME perspective. Davis, it is always a pleasure chatting with you. I learn so much about telecom and media and also sports as well. I I hope that you'll be back to join us on the podcast again later this year. Thank you so much. Thanks, Winnie. Appreciate it. And for anyone who may have follow-up questions for Davis, you can always find him on the creditsites.com website using that ask an analyst function. Thank you everyone for listening. And I hope that whomever you're pulling for in the Super Bowl ends up winning. Credit sites disclaimer. All price references correspond to the date of this recording. This podcast should not be copied, distributed, or reproduced in whole or in part. Neither credit sites nor its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of any information contained in this podcast. Credit sites is not providing investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, is not providing research or making any recommendations, nor is credit sites offering or soliciting any transaction with respect to the purchase or sale of any security. The receipt by this listener of this podcast is not the giving of advice by credit sites or its affiliates. Thank you.